fascist social and political movement involves a relationship between the leader and the supporters where the leader can openly lie and it pleases the supporters. And it's all about power. This kind of politics is all about power. Welcome to episode 20 of Inside Without Now, a podcast brought to you by volunteers with RefuseFascism.org. I'm Sam Goldman, one of those volunteers and hosts of the show. This weekend, we launched day-after-day protests nationwide, demanding Trump-Pence out now. On October 3rd, this past Saturday, Sansara Taylor gave this message for the National Editorial Board of RefuseFascism.org. First, a salute to all of you who have come into the streets to gather with others to make a start at a truly historic and daring undertaking. One month out from an election that Donald Trump is already stealing, we are declaring our determination and extending an invitation to everyone who aches in their hearts and knows what a danger we face, to join us, to protest day after day, every day, growing in numbers, demanding Trump-Pence out now. Until we, in our millions, overwhelm and sweep from power this fascist regime and the nightmare it means for humanity. We do this because the Trump-Pence regime is crushing basic rights and liberties, unleashing genocidal white supremacy, accelerating the destruction of the planet, slamming women and LGBTQ people backwards, terrorizing immigrants, and heightening the threat of nuclear annihilation. We do this because if they are allowed to fully consolidate fascism in this most powerful country in the world, it will be a catastrophe from which humanity worldwide may not be able to recover. We do this because as important as it is to vote in overwhelming numbers, relying on voting alone when Trump is actively destroying the election will lead to catastrophe. What makes me think that each of you and all of us together can be a match for all this regime's lies, thugs, state repression and terror. It is simple. We carry the interests of humanity. But that is not all. As we are out here calling on others to join us, making these protests known to millions through many different and creative nonviolent actions, we can become a source of hope to millions and a magnet attracting them to join us as they increasingly feel they must do something. And each day, the regime's actions, calling on fascists to stand by, refusing to peacefully accept the election results, speeding to pack the Supreme Court with another fascist, and more, can drive more people to feel compelled to join us in the streets. This is why we are starting now, and why we must continue every day. This will not be easy. At times, it will feel that too few are ready to hear us, that not nearly enough people answer our call, that the 
fascists try to back us down. But there is a moment between now and the election, especially after the presidential debate, where people are awaking to rising winds and rain of coming storm. Of the debate, RefuseFascism.org has said white supremacy plus stealing the election equals fascism. An alarm was sounded. In the face of difficulties, problems, the intensity of the responsibility we are taking, we will come together and strategize. Get creative. Find the ways to reach out ever more broadly. We'll help each other keep going. We don't have a lot of time. But it is precisely in a time like this, when so much of what had been normal is being shredded and disrupted by the day, that a core of people with humanity's interests in our hearts and can reach to millions. This is who we are today, and this is why it matters so much that we are here. Let us go forward together. In the name of humanity, we refuse to accept a fascist America. Trump, Pence, out now. That was a statement from Sansara Taylor, shared yesterday, October 3rd, on behalf of the National Editorial Board of RefuseFascism.org. On today's episode, we're sharing the audio from a virtual program hosted by Revolution Books, co-hosted by the Brooklyn Book Festival. It originally aired September 30th on Facebook and YouTube. How Fascism Works and How to Stop It, a dialogue between Jason Stanley and Andy Z. Can it happen here? Is it happening here? The F word, fascism. Jason Stanley is a Yale philosopher and author of How Fascism Works, and Andy Z is a co-initiator of Refuse Fascism and spokesperson for Revolution Books. All right, so uh, welcome everybody uh, online, different platforms, and welcome Jason Stanley. Well, thank How you, you doing? very much. Okay, so we have we have a lot to talk about tonight. We had a lot to talk about yesterday before the so-called debate, and now we have even more evidence in front of us. The title of the program is How Fascism Works and How to Stop It, a Dialogue. Can it happen here? Is it happening here? And what to do? Why don't we start with you, then I'll speak a little bit, and then we'll have a conversation. And towards the end of the program, people can submit their questions in whatever platform they're on, and we will take a couple of questions. So you want to start, Jason? Yes, thank you, Andy. So my book was published two years ago in September, 2018. At the time, people charged me with alarmism. I would like nothing more than to be wrong, than to have been wrong. However, I'm concerned that events have, if anything, vindicated the concerns that I was raising in my work. The reasons people gave for why I was being alarmist is they said things like, fascism requires an informal militia on the streets. It requires a relationship between the leader and militias on the streets. And we see no such development in the United States. We do not see white supremacist militias being organized to defend the fascist social and political movement. I think that's one case where we see that we were presented with a reason for why the description fascism was overwrought. And I think that has been met. We saw yesterday in the debate, Trump talking to the Proud Boys, telling them to stand down and stand by. There is clearly some kind of 
informal messaging going on between leader and militias. That's the concern here. Now, no one would like to be wrong more than me, let me add. So the second reason that people gave for why calls for fascism were overblown was that the president was not calling into question the democratic system. The president wasn't claiming that elections were rigged, the system was corrupt. The president was not saying that it's either me or the system is rigged. He wasn't directly attacking democracy. Well, I think we see that the president is directly attacking democracy. So again, I would like to be wrong. No one would like to be wrong more than me in this project. And I would like to go back to working on the semicolon or whatever god-awful things I used to do before this. However, that is not the situation in which we find ourselves. Third, the reason that people gave to say that my concern about incipient fascism was alarmist was that the president was not taking control of the party and taking control of the institutions of government. The institutions were supposedly still independent, according to the critics of my work. Fascism is a cult of the leader. It's a cult of the leader who promises national restoration uh, in the face of supposed threats by immigrants, minorities, and leftists. And people said, the Republican Party is not a cult of the leader. The Republican Party is not the same as Trumpism. We're not seeing the courts being taken over, the institutions being taken over by a cult of the leader, by devotion to the leader. There too, my concern is that we have seen significant progress on that particular front. Now, I want to give you some conceptual tools with which to think through the topic of fascism. One thing people say is that how can it be fascism if you, Jason Stanley, are not already in prison? Well, it's true that if this was a pure fascist regime, I would be in prison. And so we do not have a pure fascist regime. In fact, I would go as far as to say we live in a democracy, a democracy whose institutions are threatened, whose voting system is deeply compromised historically and in the present. But it is still, by and large, a place where you can speak your mind, although that is slowly changing for academics, the president. But it is still the case you can speak your mind. You have a free press. Let's distinguish between a fascist regime a fascist social and political movement, and fascist tactics. My 2018 book, How Fascism Works, The Politics of Us and Them, was actually about fascist tactics. What I was arguing was that there are fascists that all across the world, my book is not about the United States, it's about a worldwide movement that you see in Brazil, in India, in Israel, you see in a number of different countries, in Hungary, in Poland, in Russia, you see in many countries a fascist tactics being employed. Indeed, you see them being employed in liberal democracies that treat their immigrants, uh, migrants, with horror in placing them in horrific situations to try to encourage them to self-deport. This is a fascist tactic, but it's a fascist tactic we can see being employed in liberal democracies. So we can talk about fascist social and political tactics, and my book goes through 10 fascist social and political tactics, all of which I think we see employed here. For example, chapter nine is called Sodom and Gomorrah. You represent the cities as dens of iniquity, is filled with foreigners and immigrants and leftists and 
crime and burning and you run against the cities. You run against the cities to draw a kind of anti-urban, anti-minority, anti-elite vote. We certainly see that tactic being employed in this election. So we can talk about fascist social and political tactics, but we can also talk about a fascist social and political movement. And a fascist social and political movement can occur in a liberal democracy. Indeed, national socialism was a fascist social and political movement occurring in a liberal democracy. One question you need to ask yourself is, is Trumpism a fascist social and political movement? What would that mean? Well, is it a cult of the leader? Does Trump have a bond between himself and his supporters that is unbreakable? That is one that his supporters trust him over anything? And fascism only recognizes patriarchal authority. It only recognizes the authority of the leader. Therefore, it views all other kinds of authority, like scientific authority, as a threat to their leadership. So you have to ask yourself, is that what we're seeing now? Is the movement of Trumpism bound together by a conspiracy theory, like the Protocols of the Elders of Zion? So you have to ask yourself that. Are they saying that there are elites that are seeking to bring communism to the country and are using immigration laws to try to flood the country with immigrants and destroy its character and bring homosexuality and depravity in to weaken traditional Christian faith? And that was like the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Do we see such a conspiracy theory here? I would argue, yes, we see Trumpism working in tandem with this sort of conspiracy theory. You can have a fascist social and political movement in a country that is still a liberal democracy. It's going to take a lot for the United States to lose all vestiges of liberal democracy. If you look at Brazil right now with Jair Bolsonaro, Bolsonaro is pleading with the Brazilian military to place him as a military dictator. And the military is saying, no thanks. So you can have a fascist social and political movement in a country whose institutions are still resistant. And one might be concerned that Trumpism fits the bill. So when people talk about fascism, that doesn't mean that you live in a country with a fascist regime. It means that you need to worry about a fascist social and political movement that employs fascist tactics. And when you have a fascist social and political movement, you need to look to the country's institutions. Do you have a quasi-military institution tied up with colonial wars, imperialist wars, that is devoted to distinguishing citizen from non-citizen, can be used and directed internally against political opponents? If you have such an institution, and arguably ICE fits the bill of such an institution, then you need to be concerned about fascist creep. That's not to say you live under a fascist regime. It's to say... You can intervene now with nonviolent protests, with organizing the vote, with bringing people to the polls, with creating alliances between different groups, between conservatives, progressives, to restore democratic norms. When you say, oh, I'm worried about fascism, and people say, oh, you know, you'd be in prison if this was fascism, you have to say back to them, I'm not worried about this being a fascist regime, I'm worried about there being a Trumpism, for example, being a fascist social and political movement. Why would we need to be worried about fascism in the United States? First, people say when you talk about fascism and you say Trump is a fascist, Trumpism is a fascist social and political movement. People say, well, Trump isn't at all like German or Italian. He's very American. Well, that's a conceptual error about fascism. 
all fascism must be local. Fascism is palingenic ultranationalism. It's a leader who says, I am the country, and I promise to restore the country's greatness. That leader must remind everybody in the country they must be the most archetypical member of that country. The fact that you couldn't be more American than President Trump is not an argument that he isn't a possible fascist leader. It's an argument that he is a possible fascist leader. Relatedly, I want to underscore the Eurocentrism of the debate of people who say, oh, it couldn't possibly be fascism because this isn't Germany or Italy. That's an extremely Eurocentric take. I do not think that Trump is much like Hitler at all. I don't think he threatens a genocide of minority groups, uh, although the treatment of immigrants is a human rights violation of the first level, and we have normalized that in this country. But I think that the United States has been engaged in human rights violations against its black population for basically its entire existence. So Trump is not adding anything new, and he isn't particularly horrible along those lines. I don't think we need to turn to mid-century Europe to look for parallels here. I think we have plenty of parallels in the Americas, in Latin America. We have Latin American fascist movements. We have military dictatorships. We have autocracy. We have authoritarian regimes. We have Pinochet. If you look at on the West Coast, in the right-wing rallies, at the t-shirts people are wearing, the t-shirts people are wearing are t-shirts that valorize the execution of political opponents under Latin American dictators. We need to look to that model, not to mid-century Europe. We need to look in the history of the United States to the white supremacist groups that Trump winks to in his comments. We need to look at Ku Klux Klan ideology, which strongly overlaps with National Socialist ideology, which says that there's a cabal, a globalist cabal, that's bringing immigrants in to destroy the white race, that communists are using labor unions to advance communism, that social justice is a mask to destroy Christianity. We need to look for parallels in the Americas, and we need to look for parallels in the history of the United States itself. When people say, oh, but Trump is very American, that is an argument he's a potential leader of a fascist social and political movement, not an argument against. And we don't need to make these analogies to Europe. Okay, well, thank you, Jason. Um, I have to just start by saying I agree with you. I've, and I think I even said this when we uh, spoke after your book came out that we were getting into, and I think I was a little bit coming at that point quite a bit, saying we had already formed Refuse Fascism, that this is fascism. And I said exactly what you said here. I never wanted to be wrong so much, but this is what, this is what we're facing. So look, I think what we'll do is I have some points that I'd like to make too. There, there's a lot of overlap. I'm in fact going to modify some things because I thought you touched a lot of things. I have to say when I was rereading your book, How Fascism Works, I said, my gosh, so much of this has actually come to pass as you just brought out. <laughs> I guess on one level it's edifying, but it's also frightening and extremely serious. So here's what I want to say to people uh, today that could frame our discussion. One, I want, I'm going to make two overarching points that I hope people get out of our entire discussion. There'll be differences, there are differences between us on this, but it's differences within a framework. But my two points are first, that we are in the midst of a rolling coup of the Trump-Pence regime. We are in the midst of a rolling coup and we saw part of that last night from Donald Trump. Second, now is the time that we have to act to prevent them from carrying this all the way through. 
So I will make a few more points that will introduce this, that will frame our discussion or, or add points to it. And these bullet points are going to provide uh, some framework for these two main points that I'm trying to make. First is, I do believe we are facing a fascist regime, and I'm saying that not to get into an argument over definitions. Because I think actually when we parse this out, there's quite a bit of similarity, but there's probably a difference there too. But we are facing a fascist regime that has truly made horrific and momentous progress in bringing about and advancing a fascist America. This is a regime that is tearing up the rule of law. And at the heart of fascism is that. All the 10 characteristics in your book and more, all of this is part of fascism. But ultimately to enforce the kind of world that Jason was just talking about in terms of the, the white supremacy, the patriarchy, the xenophobia, which means the hatred of foreigners, all of this can only be instituted with ultimately a change in the form of rule where that rule is the rule of the leader. It is the rule of the fascist party, which is being forged through this Republican Party. But look, this is, this is a regime that demonizes immigrants, black people, LBGTQ people, women, Native Americans, the media, and peaceful protesters. This is a regime that opposes science, as you brought out. This is leading to a country right now that is literally burning and drowning at the same time into unbelievable unnecessary death from COVID. And at the core of this regime is an unholy alliance between Trump and a Christian fascist movement that has been developing in this country for decades. And they are organized. They are organized up into the military. They have been organized up into the military. They're organized into police forces. They're organized into communities. And this is the core of this regime. This is the organization that people used to challenge you with, Jason, and say, well, where's the organization? Well, there's an organization there that nobody would have ever believed that Trump would come to head a Christian fascist movement. <laughs> but that is actually what happened, and that, that is the Faustian bargain that they both made, and some of this is brought to bear in Michael Cohn's new book, Chapter 6. So there you go, a plug for that thug. Nonetheless, he's under fire. And Trump also unleashes, and you brought this out, uh, in the basest white supremacist, racist heart of America in a way that we've seen before in this country. We can't forget that, but it's, it's brought it to the, what used to be dog whistles are now for real. My second point is yes, they have not yet fully consolidated fascist rule. That is true for now, but that should give us no comfort. That's my second point. Now, you can say that, as I understand, you're saying that a regime means fully consolidated fascist rule. I'm saying there's a regime there that has not consolidated the rule over the country. We can talk about if there's much meaning to that without going to the semicolon. <laughs> um, Three, there is, as I said, a rolling coup that is barreling towards a showdown around the election. Trump is already stealing this election. He has a plan in place to use key institutions, the Supreme Court, violent thugs, in and out of uniform to keep his regime in power. That is why it is so urgent that people take up from many different points of view the call that Refuse Fascism has put out to form a broad-based movement, Trump Pence out now, a broad-based movement of many diverse political views that has one demand that crosses over, or put it differently, where every single demand, every single aspiration for a decent life has to go through removing this regime from power. For if it succeeds in power, 
All your dreams and aspirations for a decent life, for Black Lives Matter, for immigrant rights, for the climate, for not even being subjected to nuclear war. We can't forget that this man says if we have nuclear weapons, why can't we use them? All of this is why it's so urgent. We're 34 days away from an election. The Trump-Pence regime is undermining voting rights right now. What he lied about in the debate around what happened in Philadelphia, nonetheless, that his people were thrown out, is they went there to intimidate voters. The Christian fundamentals have already organized 10,000 people to be poll watchers. He and his fascist groups said they're going to mobilize 50,000 former and in and out of uniform military and police to be poll watchers, which really means poll intimidators, and particularly against black and Latino people. Third, this regime has repeatedly told us and they've shown us that they are preparing to stay in power by any and all means. That is the point at which Jason just warned of, that we're not at yet, but we could be. Last night, when Donald Trump was given the chance to say would he respect the election, he would not do it. He said the election will be a fraud and illegitimate. He is now, and as I just said, and he's called it out, and he called out his poll watchers in the debate. These are anti-Semitic and fascist and racist thugs. And he said that he will win this because he has stacked the courts. That was the meaning of what he said. Chris Wallace asked him this directly. Another example, um, we could talk about this for a long time today, of all the things that have shown him undermining the elections, which would ultimately be undermining those democratic institutions that people are counting on. His attorney general, he has turned into his private lawyer and the lawyer of the regime. He has backed up this whole campaign to delegitimize the election with false claims. He backed Trump up on all the stuff about the post office. I'm not going to take the time to go into that. People know about it. We can talk about it. He's threatened people who protest on the eve of the election, or rather on the election night, with sedition. This is a very serious thing. Why should we not take him seriously? Is there anything that's been indicated that this, this is a fascist tactic that could actually lead to fascist rule, should they actually do it? He's been defending Trump as the one ruler and not the rule of law. So look, I'd say, just to make this rolling coup point, there's every evidence that the Trump-Pence regime will not accept the election results if he loses. And his losing, by the way, is not a sure thing. Far from it. I'm going to get into that in my next point in a minute, but just think that all this stuff that Trump does is not just some madman talking, but this is actually has a purpose. It demoralizes and it intimidates the opposition, including from going to the polls. Point four, the Biden campaign and the Democratic Party leadership have told us and shown us that they are not going to fight Trump the way he needs to be fought. They want to play by rules that the Trump-Pence regime wants to and needs to shatter to bring about this program. The Democratic Party strategy is to appease swing voters in swing states. Biden said this last night, to be bipartisan with fascists to conciliate and not take seriously nor mobilize the tens of millions who feel that we must act against the threats of Trump. And to be clear, Biden did not use the word fascist. He said, I will be president of all the people, of the Republicans and Democrats. But I would submit that that Republican Party has been so hollowed out and so dominated, they didn't even have a party platform this year. Their party platform was to support Trump, okay? That is a, that's a telling thing. Oh, my fifth point, and I'll be very brief on this, but it is really an emotional thing to think of what if this regime stays in power, what this is going to mean for the people of the world and the people of this country. You know, it's almost unbelievable to me that we could be 
sitting here at, at this point in October almost of 2020 with tens of thousands of people in concentration camps on the border, COVID hotbeds with people being deported. I could walk through every single thing that this regime is doing and that would take up our full hour and a half. I'll just leave it at that. Imagine a second term here. There actually will be, in my opinion, a genocide. I just want to say something about genocide, which means the killing of, of whole peoples. Uh, actually, technically, it means even less than that. But ultimately, that's what it means. This country was founded on a genocide. Slavery was essentially a genocide. The betrayal of Reconstruction had genocidal elements. And then the new Jim Crow. It is a genocide to incarcerate 2.3 million people. And then what the police have done to people. I mean, for God's sake, imagine these people in power. Now, what I want to say about the genocide of the Nazi Germany in the Holocaust, that wasn't the plan that Hitler had, as you've spoken of yourself, Jason. The plan was to deport Jews, to get them out of Germany, and then eventually, to, as they expanded Germany, to get them on the other deep into Russia. But the exigencies of the war, the problems they ran into the, in the war, particularly against the then Soviet Union, led them at a certain point fairly late in the game, eight years into the game, before they took a decision to exterminate the Jews. Then one other thing I want to say about the reality of what a second term will mean for Trump, whether legitimate or illegitimately achieved, is exhibit one would be Modi in India, Erdogan in Turkey, Duterte in the Philippines, and exhibit two is what you began to see in Portland, where they went in with paramilitary forces loyal to the president, loyal to to Attorney General Barr, and then when they, they were somebody who they had accused of shooting into this fascist mob that rampaged through town, they went in and executed him after Trump said, go do that. No trial, no indictment. Every aspiration people have for justice or for a decent world now has to go through removing this regime. I'm going to try and be brief in my last two points. If Trump doesn't win by a landslide on election day, they are preparing for everything I just said. They are preparing to take power by any and all means necessary. What does the history that we faced in the last three years tell us? That he doesn't do the things he says he's going to do? He's tried to do everything he's tr he said he would do, and he's succeeded at many of them. This is why we have to begin this fight right now. It'd be too late to mobilize later on. Yes, people should vote in big numbers against Trump, which means voting for the Democratic Party candidate Biden. This is not a time for a protest vote, okay? This is a time to vote against Donald Trump. And if you don't do that, shame on you. This is going to be on you. But if we only rely on voting, it's going to be disastrous. And if we only wait to act till after Trump has stolen the election with his thugs in the street and his military or National Guard mobilized, you won't do it. And not only that, Biden told you last night not to do it. And the organizations who I hope to be seen in the public square this month, who have said they're not going to go out in the streets until after it's stolen, I want to tell you what Biden said last night. After telling the Proud Boys to stand down and stand by, this is what Trump's actually said, stand by, which can only mean we'll see how the election goes. So this is after he, uh, I'm trying to shorten this now, he said that the ballots are going to be, he would not say that he would honor the election. Let me just back up. He said he would not honor the election. He said there's thousands of ballots being manipulated. I can't go al along with that. And he told his paramilitary, or rather his thugs, to, to stand by. But then Chris Wallace said, Vice President Biden, final question for you. Will you urge your supporters to stay calm while the vote is counted? 
And will you pledge not to declare victory until the election is independently certified? Okay, there's a little trap in there with the word calm. But essentially, Biden's answer was, here's the deal, his favorite phrase. The fact is, I will accept it, and he will too. You know why? Because once the winner is declared, and after all the ballots are counted, all the votes are counted, that'll be the end of it. That'll be the end of it. And if it's me, in fact, fine. If it's not me, I'll support the outcome. I'll be president, not just for the Democrats, I'll be president for Democrats and Republicans. Look, Biden was clearly saying to people, don't get out in the streets in major ways. I'm not saying that, that he won't say, stand guard outside or be outside a place where votes are being counted. This is not Sunday school exercise here. What Trump is preparing for is deadly serious. This is why what we're calling for is non-violent, sustained protest all different views. I want to see never Trumpers. I want to see Democrats. I want to see B Bernie people. I want to see anarchists. I want to see my people, the revolutionary communists, out into the streets here and organizing this. So with that, I do want to just say that is the mission of Refuse Fascism. If I could just take one second more to, uh, I will go into a more of a conception of this, hopefully later on, but Refuse Fascism has put out a pledge that we're just releasing and we're asking people from cultural figures to academics to all kinds of people to sign it. It's, it's longer than I'm gonna read, but I just wanna read the end of it because I think it speaks to something that we both agree with. No longer can we live with howling mobs resurrecting Jim Crow, fascist thugs attacking our protests, the right to vote stolen by defenders of the Confederacy. We will not worship the flag or accept a theocracy. We will not become collaborators on a march to a racist genocide. We will not hand the future to scorchers of the planet. Four more years, four more months, and it could be too late. To change the course of history as the Trump-Pence regime sabotages the election and drags humanity to the edge of extinction. Here and now, we pledge to unite in our millions, rising together in nonviolent resistance to stop a great horror. We pledge to stay in the streets, overcoming fear and uncertainty until this American fascism is brought to a halt. We pledge our determination to prevail over a regime that imperils the people of the world and the earth itself in the name of humanity. We refuse to accept a fascist America. So, those are some points I wanted to make. I know we both went on a little longer, but we, so we took, a, a, I think, a worthwhile half hour, 35 minutes to t talk about this. So, I, I, you know, I just, before I ask you something, I, wanna, I just want to open it up to you. If you want to help frame what we should get into, that would be great. Yes, so there's an issue raised by your remarks about how we think of Trumpism with respect to what you referred to as the long history of U.S. fascism. Sarah Churchwell, Bradley Hart, Jim Whitman, my colleague Jim Whitman, these are some of the authors who've documented the long history of fascist ideology and fascist thought in the United States. It overlaps and is connected with the Ku Klux Klan, white supremacy, and the ideologies we're seeing today. It's baked into our system, as Black Lives Matter makes clear, with the prison industrial complex, the carceral state, we have the highest incarceration rate in the world. Black Americans are among the most incarcerated people in human history. So all of that preceded Trump. All of that preceded Trump. Is Trump a cause or is Trump a symptom? He's both. He's both a cause and a symptom. We'll never be able to address our longstanding problems as long as Trumpism is there, 
And as long as Trumpism is there, it's a reminder that these background conditions will always be there to enable a potential fascist leader. As Charles Lindbergh, the spokesperson for the America First movement, was viewed by the National Socialists, a potential American fascist leader. So we need to get at these underlying problems. We need to, you know, for some of my political leanings, which I'm putting aside to support Biden and Harris 100%, (laughs) uh, uh, but for some of my political leanings, the situation goes deeper than just our history of racism. It goes back to capitalism itself. Because with capitalism, capitalism unfettered is going to lead to fascism. Because capitalism unfettered will lead to an immiserated masses. Uh, And these immiserated masses will need to be entertained by cultural war again. They'll need to be set against each other with racial politics while while their wallets are being stolen, while the taxes are being cut for the wealthy oligarchs that, that run things. The immiserated masses will need to, need to be kept in, in their place by a powerful police force. You look at the NYPD's salary, uh, how much the NYPD makes. It's, you know, many, I think 11 billion, 6 billion, or some uh, incredible amount of, of New York City's money goes into the NYPD. Police forces all across the country are being asked to, uh, to play this role of, of, of adjudicating the social problems that come from class inequities. And I don't blame them. They're put in an impossible situation. They're put in an impossible situation to try to deal with the fact that a large portion of humanity in cities, mostly black and brown Americans, are, are immiserated and impoverished while others are incredibly wealthy. So you're just going to see as more, as, as more uh, material inequality develops, as, as more jobs get outsourced to, to uh, get automatized, get, get sent uh, to uh, to, uh, to, to robots to do, to AI, you're going to see more and more people uh, enter a world of hopelessness. And you're going to need a powerful police state to control them. And you're going to need uh, a cultural politics that sets them against each other. So we're going to need to deal with those problems. A Biden-Harris uh, administration will need to deal with these problems. But in the first instance, we must stop the result of those problems. And the result of those problems is Trumpism. Um, Trumpism is as American as apple pie. Um, it harkens back uh, when Trump calls for patriotic education. What is he calling for? He's calling for the kind of education that Du Bois denounces in the final chapter of Black Reconstruction. Uh, uh, the chapter is entitled uh, The Propaganda of History. And Du Bois denounces uh, the way that that education was explicit, historical education was explicitly set up to try to unify the South and the North, the white South and the white North, to try to obscure and hide the crimes of Reconstruction, of the end of Reconstruction. Um, and, what, and, and make no bones about it, when Trump, when Trump talks about patriotic education, when he targets Nicole Hannah-Jones and the 1619 Project. The 1619 Project is incredibly patriotic. The 1619 Project is criticized from the left by being too patriotic. The 1619 Project, Nicole Hannah-Jones says, black, the American ideals are great and black Americans 
mainly realized that, which is inarguably true, <laughs> that black Americans had a central role in realizing American, or in helping to realize American ideals. But, uh, but of course, she's a black journalist, and she's calling attention to, uh, to the history of black Americans uh, that is threatening to white Americans, that, that threatens, that it, it forces them to regard black Americans as having an equal uh, place or having uh, a deeply respected place. Black Americans are the vanguard of anti-fascism in the United States. So Trump has been attacking uh, uh, education. He's, he threatened to remove uh, federal funding from school districts that use the 1619 Project. The 1619 Project is not some radical project. Nicole Hannah-Jones begins her essay with a, uh, we're talking about an American flag and how patriotic black Americans are. It's incredibly patriotic. Uh, but, but, so what, 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 Trump is, what Trump is doing is he's returning us to this idea that black Americans must know their place. Uh, and we must teach a history where black Americans know their place. This is America's overlap with fascism. This is what I call in my book, The Mythic Past. Um, so, so we have this long history. Uh, we have uh, rampant capitalism. We have, uh, we have the failure to deal with the financial crisis that is on Obama and Biden's shoulders. We have mutual culpability here. But this should be a gut check moment where Republicans, Democrats, anyone who believe leftists like me, uh, you know, social conservatives, all of us who believe in democracy must bond together and say, no, we're not going to be threatening. Uh, I mean, I have very religious uh, relatives. Um, you know, I, I, I want them to live their life as they want. Uh, I don't want their lives to be threatened. We have to make sure that our, our social conservative, uh, th that the, the extreme social conservatives, Christian conservatives, know that their, li lively, their lives are not being threatened. Uh, you know, what we want to return to is a diverse, multicultural, multi-valued uh, American democracy and not a white Christian fascism, which is, which is frankly what threatens. Yeah, look, I, I think that uh, I agree with that. Actually, I did want to say James Whitman is, had been at Revolution Books and, uh, um, you know, the other authors you uh, spoke to are, it is important for people uh, to, to look at that. And even in this history that people need to know, I actually, I think it's, I, I don't know if it's an HBO series that took uh, Philip Roth's book and made it into a series, uh, is worth the it for people. America. Yeah, The Plot Against America for people to, to watch. Um, I do want to come to what the, where we're at right now, but I, just to back up a little bit, there's a bigger, there, you raise a number of big issues uh, uh, that, that I just will speak to very briefly. It is true that at the root of fascism is the capitalist system. I do agree with you that, and it's a system that cannot possibly meet the needs of all of humanity. It's, it's not how it's set up. It's a system that's, that is uh, developed historically it developed historically alongside of feudalism and, and slavery and actually was able to incorporate both elements into it, particularly in this country, which is, that, that is the unholy union that began the country. As people know, we don't have time here to rehearse it all in terms of the uh, founding constitution legitimate, 
not only legitimating slavery, but not even allowing discussion of it for the first 20 years of the republic that so many people uh, uphold. Uh, but fascism is one possible resolution of the contradictions that the people who rule this capitalist system face. And there is a very sharp divide at the top of society right now um, between those who want to basically continue the, the political order as it's been, maybe even expand it some. That was the content of the debate between uh, the Bernie and Biden people, if you will. How do we make it more inclusive, make capitalism work for the people? Versus, on the other hand, the people who are behind Donald Trump and who he's come to represent exactly because he doesn't give a fuck about, or I don't know if I can say that, but give a damn about any of that in terms of, and he's willing to shatter the norms, who see that, that America needs to go back to those mythical values that you talk about, but actually the material reality of it was slavery, it was the, uh, the tremendous exploitation and actually a demonization and oppression of immigrants and, uh, you know, uh, that the country was actually founded on, and the oppression of women. All of this is built into the system and, and really who you, what you see developing here, and your book also points out this is developing around the world, is an apartheid state, an apartheid state is a fascist state. That, because you necessarily, you have a minority, and, and this is exactly this cultural battle you were just talking about, that he actually said it straight up there, that it's unfair, the um, you know, multiculturalism, it's unfair because it's discriminated against white people. And, and we could take the next literally three hours walking through the statistics and, uh, of the disparity between white and black people, white and Latino people, Latino and black people. We walk, we'd spend the whole day on it and we wouldn't begin to touch what this means for people's lives, including COVID, that is disproportionately affecting Latino and black lives. So this is, I mean, we have a tremendous amount of unity uh, there. Uh, I, you know, in terms of the actual analysis of it doesn't necessarily inevitably lead to, to uh, capitalism. So does, capitalism doesn't necessarily inevitably, in my opinion, lead to fascism. It actually is a brutal dictatorship over the masses of people, even under, in the sense of uh, not Trump barking out orders, but in the sense of people's lives being constrained by it. As you just talked about the carceral system, we have just the, one of the, the most egregious caste system and uh, 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 mass incarceration. But I don't, in one sense I want to speak to it, but I want to actually talk a little bit about, I have so many questions for you, Jason. <laughs> so many questions. But one, uh, I, I do want to get to this question of how, what is, what has been a slow genocide against black people. The reaction of Trump and what he's fomented among these, look, the white fascist mobs are a certain size, but there's 40 million people who are supporting this. All right, maybe it'll turn out to be 38 million. That is a heavy, heavy thing that we, people have to recognize. And depending on how things develop in the world, that could turn into a faster genocide. The, the genocidal impulse in this is not something trivial. 
even what's happening on the border now, I mean, I don't, I don't know how anybody could say, well, it's only 60,000 people and live with themselves. I don't know anybody can deal with what's been happening to deporting people into COVID hotbeds in Central America and live with themselves. I, it, to me, it's, 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 it's a shameful expression of individualism and self-involvement self for people not to see the human cost of it. And the history I grew up with and you grew up with of what happened to the Jewish people was the exact same thing. People putting up with it because it didn't affect them. So that's a little side point here, but it's actually at the heart of this. So I do want to get to this, this genocidal impulse and uh, that, that's there. And it's not to say it's inevitable that there'll be ovens in March if he succeeds, but there, but you know, there, but, but there is a, there is a way this will take place and it will take place in an American context. And, and in response to, necessity problems that the Trump-Pence regime runs into. Let me pack in another question here just to make things more complicated, but you speak a lot about, and, and your book is about, and your, your, your work is about the influence of language and ideology on people, how people think. I'd actually like to talk a little, you to talk a little bit about how the overall public discourse has been changed. Certainly what the, used to be said in dog whistles are now said openly by the Trump fascist regime. But also the more liberal progressive strata has come to tolerate a language and to accept things being said that would have been unacceptable. I mean, you know, my parents weren't people who, who hit me, but they would have slapped me in some way if I just looked the other way when shit was happening to people in the South in the 1960s when I grew up. That was not allowed in my house. You couldn't go along with that. You had to say something. And then, you know, I, I didn't like that. I didn't think they did enough, but nonetheless. So I'm, I'm asking, I'm packing two questions together in terms of uh, this, uh, the seriousness of what we face in terms of the lives of the masses of people. And it makes me very angry when people say, oh, the institutions are gonna, are gonna hold, because when they don't hold, then people die in massive numbers. Good. I mean, not good. <laughs> uh, the, the, I mean, good, good uh, points. Uh, not, um, so uh, when we talk about, so history doesn't ever exactly repeat itself, right. but it plays similar. Uh, and if we look at the consequences of right now, if we look at the consequences of the choices that will be made at the polls and what they will be for human life, we have two enormous risks. The first is climate change. It may, it's not too late, but we need to act very quickly. The world cannot afford another four years of climate change in, in action. And make no mistake, this administration, Jair Bolsonaro's administration in Brazil, these are nihilistic ideologies that seek, that, that almost embrace or embrace a kind of, uh, 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 self-destruction, and that too is fascist in its nature. I mean, Hitler, uh, Hitler's nihilism was enacted uh, with, the, uh, in, uh, with the insane desire for world domination. Uh, Bolsonaro and Trump's nihilism seems to, take, seems to be enacted with the desire for world destruction with climate mm -hmm. change. When I was in Brazil in March, uh, speaking at a literary festival with uh, some leading journalists, um, they, I, I said, well, I'm sure that the big agriculture companies want Bolsonaro to clear the Amazon. 
and and the journalist I was in conversation with said, actually that's not true. Brazilian farmers they support Bolsonaro 100% because his whole politics is about how the cities are decadent, the farmers are my base, are the cowboys, and but but uh, but they do organic farming and they make a lot of money off sustainable farming. Bolsonaro seems to be destroying the Amazon for its own sake as this kind of nihilism. And similarly with Trump's environmental policies, seems to be poisoning the air, the, the water, the earth. Uh, you know, we do not have time. These wildfires and in, in, in the, the complete denial of science, the complete denial of reality. This mirrors the complete denial of reality that we, we saw with fascist leaders of the past thinking they could conquer Russia, rule the world, enslave the world. Uh, you know, that's what we're seeing now, this idea that, mm -hmm. you know, this complete denial of reality. And if we look at the number of bodies that may result from this, the body count might be very similar as the fascist movements in the past. So that's where I see this danger coming. Um, uh, because people are right to say that the Obama administration brutalized immigrants, not to this level, not anywhere near to this level. And don't let anyone tell you this. This is unprecedented, what's happening under Trump. Um, but the Obama administration was not deporter-in-chief, he was called. They were not great. Um, you know, the prison industrial complex is a long-standing feature of the United States. But, you know, climate change is the most important issue humanity faces. And, uh, and on that, you know, uh, we're seeing, uh, we can talk about genocide. So, uh, so uh, you know, and there might be no comparison with the past in terms of the bodies, in terms of the destruction. So that's number one. Number two, about language. So language is completely changed. We've normalized it. Um, so uh, under, uh, so it was key to understand American politics before Trumpism. Uh, it was key to understand the notion of plausible deniability. Somebody would talk, you know, uh, Paul Ryan or would talk about makers versus takers or uh, inner city, the problems of the inner city. And, and people would say, that's racist. And, and they would say, no, it isn't. I'm just talking about the middle of cities, you know. Um, and, uh, but now what we've got is implausible deniability, just a blatant lying, which is a complete power move. So Trump's, Trumpism, a fascist social and political movement, involves a relationship between the leader and the supporters where the leader can openly lie and it pleases the supporters. It pleases the supporters because this kind of politics is a politics of what the philosopher Susanna Siegel pointed out of schadenfreude, uh, a, a delight in the pain of one's enemies. Uh, Timothy Snyder calls it sadopopulism. The desire is to see, you no know, Trump, their leader is getting away with it. Their leader is openly lying. Their leader is openly cheating. He's doing it for them. He's doing it for them. He's getting away with it. It just shows his power. And it's all about power. This kind of politics is all about power. Um, what we need to do is we need to return this United States to a rule of law state. And then once it's a rule of law state, we can adjudicate our political differences. But right now, uh, you've, got, you've got a situation where Trump doesn't lose any supporters by blatantly lying. And, you know, at the debate yesterday when he just said, he blatantly said, you know, the New York Times got hold of his tax returns. 
the tax returns showed seven hundred fifty dollars uh, that he paid seven hundred fifty dollars in twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen, and he blatantly just said, just said, no, that's wrong. I paid millions and millions of dollars. So openly lying. Uh, I mean, he lied throughout the entire debate. His supporters don't care. Um, he can mm -hmm. uh, this way of the you know the, the the talk of cities as burning. Violent crime is at near historic lows. The murder rate has gone up in uh, in many cities, not Democrat-led cities. Uh, you know, it's gone up more in Republican-led cities. Uh, but uh, but the murder rate has gone up, but it's still nothing like New York City in the 1990s. Um, I mean, nothing. Uh, you know, there were there were 2,300 murders in New York City in 1991. There were around 300 last year. You know. Three, uh, you know, you know, it, maybe it will go up to 500, which is a human tragedy. But it's still a quarter. I, I doubt it will go up to 500 murders this year. But it's still a fraction of the murder rate that we had in the 1990s. And he's representing the cities as, you know, uh, that's how this politics works. You represent mm -hmm. the cities in this way uh, as sort of. Um, so, uh, so what we've got is we've got. We've got this, uh, and now we've got the open conspiracy theories. Uh, we've got many Republican candidates running for Congress who are uh, fans of QAnon. QAnon looks a lot like some mixture of uh, the Nazi conspiracy theory, Protocols of the Elders of Zion, and uh, blood libel. Uh, blood libel was the, so conspiracy theories end up being anti-Semitic. And we have to remember that anti-Semitism the Nazi anti-Semitism was not directed against religious Jews in the first instance. It was directed against Judeo-Bolsheviks, leftist Jews. And the idea was communism was a Jewish plot. So, uh, so what we have now is we have Republicans using classic anti-Semitic conspiracy theories and then saying, but look, I'm pro-Israel. But look, the Orthodox Jews support us. Well, hey, uh, you know, Nazi anti-Semitism was never directed against Orthodox, was not in the first instance directed against Orthodox Jews. It was directed against secular Jews like me, against liberal Jews. Um, and uh, and of, co of course, you know, many Orthodox died by not realizing they were, they were in its, its targets. But that's what we're seeing now. We're seeing open conspiracy theories and we're seeing uh, a presidential administration devoted to trying to reconstruct these conspiracy theories by showing that there's a deep state plot by uh, by we're seeing we're seeing a fa fascist propaganda where you always you call your enemy what you are um, right. so you know uh, no you're the corrupt one you're the uh, you, you know you're, you're the criminal administration um, I mean uh, so and then above all, we're just seeing this idea that we're seeing fascist law and order. What is fascist law and order? Fascist law and order is when what the leader wants is the law. So the entire RNC was a Hatch Act violation, was illegal. Um, but, you know, it was, it was a blatant way to show off the leader's power. Um, and, you know, we have to somehow get away from those politics, get away from the thrill people have of seeing their leader uh, dominate the opposition and cut their health care and cut their union benefits and cut their and 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 cut and and cut the taxes of the wealthy but as long as their leader is getting his they're happy we have to get away from that politics
Yeah, I just want to uh, come to uh, just a couple of questions because uh, I think the people who've been listening to us for this uh, last hour, 10 minutes, are have found uh, a picture of a quite uh, pleasant and rosy world being painted for them. And it is actually quite a serious situation, as I, I, I know uh, you understand and are, and, and are also out there on this. Uh, I, out there telling people the actual truth here. I want to just go into uh, just a couple things in terms of what is to be done about this right now and why it's so urgent that we actually take actions in the streets uh, across all kinds of political and ideological and gender and national divides. It's, it's really the future does depend on it. I said this was a rolling coup. What that means is that step by step, the rule of law is being torn asunder. What it means is that norms that people, civil norms, which you've just spoken about, civil norms, how people relate to each other, they're being shredded. People talk about this. You see this in supermarkets, in Walmarts. It means that what you've counted on before will, does not exist any longer. And the Trump-Pence regime, before it even was in power, Steve Bannon and Rudy Giuliani said, and express what was said privately in their ranks, that this they viewed, this being the Trump-Pence regime, was their last chance to bring about the, the worldview that they had. And it's not, there was a very coherent worldview expressed in this Christian fascist movement, and there were other strains of fascism that have all congealed around Donald Trump. This they saw, and not completely inaccurately, but mainly inaccurately, was their last chance. And it doesn't matter whether that was accurate or not. That's what they actually believe and that's what they're acting on. And so we face a situation with this election. In order for them to stay in power, they will do whatever it takes. Now, whether or not anybody's going to stop them, you know, we've been through this over the last three, four years. Oh, the responsible adults in the room are going to stop this, the three generals. They did not. Oh, uh, the Mueller report's going to do that. He did not, and in fact, there's plenty of evidence coming out now that he basically threw the case, which is not surprising because he did the same thing with the NFL years ago. But um, every step of the way, the blue wave, that's going to save us. No, it didn't. So, but people want to hold on to something. They want to hold on to an illusion. They don't do what needs to be done. Uh, we had at one of our rallies, Refuse Fascism's rallies, uh, 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 last week was uh, around the 200,000 uh, death uh, mark being um, met in uh, Chicago. We did them around the country, but in Chicago, a professor from the, the College of Charleston, Joshua Shane's, I don't know if you know him or not, but Joshua Shane's, uh, you know, he also studied fascism. Uh, he made the point that, you know, there's no predetermined point where it becomes too late. But it does become harder and harder and harder to stop. And the longer you wait, the more death and destruction takes place. And, you know, we could, we're not going to take the time now to get into this discussion of, well, it was really 1938 when it was, the, the, that's with Kristallnacht in Germany, that's when it became too late. No, really, it waited until 1941. Well, actually, I think it was 34. It became increasingly, increasingly difficult for there to be resistance. And actually, anything after 1938 would have been extremely difficult to stop. Right now, we believe we still have time. We have a, 
A lot of what I've been speaking about comes from a pamphlet uh, that was issued on August 1st by Bob Avakian on the immediate critical situation, the urgent need to drive out the fascist Trump-Pence regime voting in this election, and the fundamental need for revolution. But the thing about this pamphlet is it really goes into the fundamental change. The, the, the heart of this fascism is, when you, as you were just talking about, when, you, when there's no longer a rule of law, then all the things if you're an immigrants' rights activist, if you're a Black Lives Matter activist, if you're working on the climate, everything you've been working for, that gets wiped off the books. If you're not a person who's not an activist, you're just, uh, I have some relatives I'm mad at, they retreated to Vermont, <laughs> they're, not doing, they're not doing anything. But they think they're gonna live a nice life. Well, I can give you a witness of plenty of people, including your family, um, who, who did get out, but who didn't get out because they thought this would blow over. We both know how many Jews returned to Germany in 1934 because they thought it would, th this couldn't possibly happen in the liberal democracy of Germany. So this is why we are calling for, Refuse Fascism is calling for, let's get in the streets now, nonviolent, sustained protest. In the beginning, this is going to be like a town square. Uh, you know, I don't know if it'll start some city with a dozen people, some people hundreds, maybe other a thousand people. Far insufficient. But it'll be a place people can come. They're going to talk. They're going to get materials. They're going to they're have to develop forms of organization with people who've never worked together before because these fascist thugs are going to come by. We've already had that situation develop here in Los Angeles where the fascists have said they're going to come to uh, this first day of this protest. So we'll have to be serious. We'll have to reach out to communities. We're gonna be marches, for example, around Black Lives Matter that we hope will come to the square and that will leave from the square and go up. But we have to get to a situation where it's not just tens of thousands of fascist poll watchers who are intimidating people, but where there's masses of people saying, we don't want to live like this. Joshua Shanes was quoting another fascist scholar who said, who studied a particular town in Germany, he said uh, in, the, in the 30s, he said, the thing that was missing is there was not a united front of the decent people. Bal yeah. Balberg. I think that's who it yeah. was. Not a united front yeah. of the decent people. That's what we actually need. And I think that this is something that is so urgent right now. And sure, Biden wins by a landslide, Trump says, see you later. Okay, then we got a different set of contradictions, different set of problems we got to deal with. But if you're banking on that, you're not paying attention to what's happening right now. And the even worse horror that could come, I completely agree with you on the climate. I also think it's a horror for immigrants and, and black people on a scale unimagined. I also think it's a horror on COVID. I also think that the world is not standing still for Donald Trump. And there's going to be things that are going to mature. And this is somebody who has said, if we have nuclear weapons, why can't we use them? People should be very frightened on the one hand of what could happen, but very buoyed by the fact that there is a way still to stop this. Yes, vote in massive numbers, but if we're not in the streets, it's not going to happen. I, as you know, and as people know who follow our show, I think ultimately to get rid of these problems, we need an actual revolution for this new communism. But right now, everybody has to get out in the streets, and it is a fact that every progressive change that has come in this 
in this country has come through the struggle of masses of people. That is when things have changed. It's not come because somebody, uh, LBJ didn't just do what he did around the Civil Rights Act because he was just uh, an anti-racist, far from it. It's because there was a massive movement in the streets and actually that was threatening to get way out of control. So I think I'd just like to talk a little bit about this because I don't want to put you on the spot of endorsing this or something, but I think the need for people to act is, is historically accurate and necessary. Yeah, I don't think it's the, the The strategy the Trump administration seems to be following is to try to convince people that election day will, will decide this. We know what they've, what they've done. It's actually quite remarkably uh, sort of uh, James Bond villainous. What mm -hmm. they've done is they've convinced their supporters that COVID is not to be taken seriously. So if you look at the people who plan on voting on election day in person, they massively favor Trump. Uh, then if you look at the people who plan to vote by mail, they even much more massively favor Biden. So what they're going to do is there, what the plan seems to be is to, is to declare victory uh, on uh, election eve. Uh, you know, and say, well, it's the end of the election and before the votes are counted. And then because, so what we have to do is we have to think not in terms of election day, but in terms of election month. Um, it's gonna be a while before the results, the full results are in. And Biden will have to win by a lot in order to, uh, in order to, uh, I mean, and I think he will win by a lot, as long as we get everyone we know out to vote. Um, but we have to be on the streets because they will try to steal the election using the fact that they have a large same-day in-person voting election advantage. So, uh, so we absolutely need to be on the streets. Uh, there needs to be that political pressure. I think what you're seeing, however, which is frightening but shouldn't dissuade us, is we're seeing police across the country practice uh, tactics on nonviolent protesters. They're practicing uh, 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 provoking them into action. They're practicing. I'm sure you've seen this, Andy, uh, and uh, and uh, you know I'm seeing videos of of police seizing people on the streets and gathering that makes no, in gatherings that make no sense other than practicing. I think so. that's really true. No, yeah. go ahead, I'm sorry. So. Yeah, well, this is why, look, and this does speak to, you know, we don't have to, this does speak to why we are trying to get this going now. It's not gonna be easy to deal with this. The game has already changed. This is what you're speaking about. The way they're coming at protesters now, the game has changed and he's, it's not a, look, when we're, when the Attorney General says we're going to charge people with sedition if they protest on election night, it would be wise to take that seriously, including that they're going to be out in, these thugs are going to be out in massive numbers. You can't assemble yeah. a movement overnight and just meeting in, in little conclaves now on Zoom to pram for that. That's fine. We should do that. People should do that. But we have to gain experience together out in the streets and people have to understand this is going to be nonviolent, very broad protest from the very beginning refuse fascism has said one demand Trump Pence out now 
Bring all your other demands, your other signs, your feelings, your aspirations for, uh, 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 you know, whatever. But this has to start now, and so that by the time the election comes, our side, field, which is very broad now, the people who don't want this fascist regime to continue feel the confidence even to go to the polls, even to go to the polls. There will be no landslide if there isn't this force out there, the more that they get their forces out there. So I did want to um, uh, bring that, bring that, uh, you know, that point out. Uh, I don't know about now questions. Do we have anything that's come in that's particularly, uh, I mean, I, I would be willing for people have questions for me that we can answer them in another, another forum. Uh, I think we're at an important point in the conversation where we're going to want to wrap up. But is there a particular important question? Yeah, uh, the questions you got on Okay, well, this one we already answered. And then there's one more about it. You know, how it made the leading secular progressive Jews to all Jews, historical record. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> that's a, we're not going to answer that now. But, I, but, but I, the, 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 somebody asked the question, how did we make the, how did the move go from secular progressive Jews to where Jews are at now? No, uh, in the Nazi, oh, in the Nazi, just in the Nazi period. Okay. We can maybe answer that briefly. We could also refer people to why the heavens did not darken by Arno Mayer, I think speaks to some of that. Uh, but if you want to answer briefly, because I would like to go one more place on this. There's a nice piece by Eliyahu Stern in Tablet Magazine called Orthodoxy and Anti-Semitism in the Age of Trump. That I wow, think okay. People should, yeah. Okay, um, well that's... What's happening, uh, so, and it talks about the history, it talks about the two different traditions of Judaism, the secular progressive tradition uh, and the, uh, the traditional Orthodox position, uh, uh, and, and the different versions of anti-Semitism directed against them. Um, but the idea that Jews are a global communist force seeking to bring communism to the world, that's not directed against Orthodox Jews, who clearly uh, wanted no part in that. Mm -hmm. But that's okay. the kind of anti-Semitism we're seeing today. And then we see the Trump administration say, see, it's not anti-Semitism because the Orthodox Jews support us. But it is okay. The other questions that came in, uh, one is, was what is a rolling coup? I think I, uh, uh, I can say very, I gave examples of it before. What it means is that right now, as Jason said at the beginning, there is still a Two houses. There's, there's still. Uh, we're going to vote. Uh, there's a, there's a, there is supposed to be a contested election, right? But as we've seen, Trump said there that he's not accepting that it be a contested election and would abide by the results. And there's no reason to expect that he's not going to try to, uh, to do that. There's uh, a rolling coup in this case uh, from refused fascism. Fascism specifically means that. Over the last period of time, we've seen step after step after step that has um, taken away, stripped away essential democratic norms and rights, and, and specifically focused around the election. I just, I wanted to say this, um, this will be a little bit longer point. I think people should imagine two different things that are not nice to imagine, then we can imagine some things that are nice to imagine, which Jason said before, what we would begin to do after 
Trump leaves if he does leave, you know, including that there'll be a lot of struggle amongst our, each other. What is the way that we could actually have a world fit for human, human beings where humanity as a whole could flourish, not just some people in one country, but people all over the world? We'll have differences among ourselves and we'll certainly have differences with the people who are enforcing this world. Because as Jason brought out earlier, mass incarceration existed before. Donald Trump as the deportation. But I wanted to just people to imagine two things that are not, maybe people don't go to. Imagine a second term of Donald Trump, even one legitimately. Just imagine that, unrestrained at that point, and then wanting to develop successors to that, feeling vindicated with a with the Congress, with a Supreme Court that is six to three of essentially Christian fascists, uh, you know, they're not all fascists, but they're, they're, they're pretty much on board with that. But the Christian fascist court, essentially. Just think about what that's going to mean to masses of people, including that the world isn't standing still. The kinds of things that are going to happen. Are the police now going to stop killing people? No, they're not. What happens when people protest and he's vindicated? That's why I said people should look at what's happened in Modi. Modi, who's the, uh, the, the president in, in India, he was re-elected and right away he basically shut down an entire province under martial law, cut off their internet. He declared millions and millions of Muslims who'd been lived in the country for a long time not citizens. That's under that scenario. But imagine, here's my second imagine, and try to be brief here. The second imagine is, if Trump stays in power because he's able to delegitimize the election, uh, he first contests the, the mail-in ballots. Then they, they take it to courts in various states. And then you start seeing this go to state legislatures. I'm not going to walk through all this stuff. There's a study been done on this. People can look it up. There's a major article in The Atlantic on this. But imagine all the things that he would do to change the rules of the game, backed up and enforced by these thugs in the street, as well as these paramilitary ICE people that he's developed, National Guard, and a police force Police forces that are acting often in contradiction even to their own commanders locally. I mean, these police unions are very tied into the fascist base. Does anybody really believe that if he stays in power that way, that he is going to rescind anything that he's done through the course of November 3rd to January 20th? If he's able to get a ratification for, a, for an election that is essentially stolen, this is something people should think about because that will be, you, we might have Jason Stanley on without his picture on saying, you know what, it is a fascist regime as he was defining it at the beginning because it could be very, very different world. And uh, the last well, thing I want to say, yeah. Let me be clear yeah. about fascist creep that we need to pay attention to. So we've, the war on terror created certain institutions, uh, imperialist institutions, that were devoted to rooting out uh, potential terrorists among immigrants. Um, what we've got is we've got a transformation of that, those institutions that were already prepared to deal in, with the utmost harshness with, uh, with immigrants, with, uh, we, we, we had Muslims being uh, vilified. If we look at, if we look at, uh, if, if, if we look at, uh, the war on terror, if we look at it and we look at Trump's first actions, the Muslim ban, we now have that institution being directed against political opponents. It used to be that, that 
this institution was hunting out uh, immigrants, uh, uh, Mexican and Latin American uh, uh, Latino immigrants, uh, Latinx immigrants. Now they're being explicitly redirected against leftists. That mm -hmm. should concern every American. Uh, that's a first they came for a moment. Um, yes. Once you have this institution directed against leftists, um, once you the the, the the once you have the universities, the press, the education system being targeted, which Trump is being very explicit about, well, you know, uh, then you know we're talking about genuine transformation, um, and and I fear uh, that's that's a, that many that's what what we're we're facing uh, political opponents being targeted. Uh, Trump talked about radical professors and uh, and of course teachers. Um, so so we have we have that we have. But what deeply worries me, I mean, one of the things that deeply worries me is the use of these war on terror institutions now being deployed against political opponents and peaceful protesters. That's a very important point, and uh, and it actually makes, uh, if I can just be a little more explicit in my point, the Patriot Act, various measures that were instituted after 9-11, which was the World Trade Centers coming down, all this for people who were not even born then, uh, and who've been in the streets lately. None of them went away afterwards. They've all stayed in power, uh, in, in force rather. This is the thing we have to look at, that there, when we say rolling coup, if he is able to do what he says he's going to do, it's going to be a whole different game. Nobody, you see, here's a funny thing. People say, well, we got the courts, we've got the legislature, it's all what it is. Well, you do until you don't. And in fact, what fascists always do, and I think you've pointed this out, but certainly others have as well, Fascists prefer to keep these institutions. What they do is they hollow them out and put their own people in it and change the rule. Even in the uh, institutions that we, I'm sure we both have, I have a very fundamental criticism of the CIA, the FBI, these people are tremendous fascistic forces in, in this country from the time they were formed. And yet, they're not fascistic enough for the Trump-Pence regime. In other words, they are going through there and purging them and putting them with loyalists. I know we're coming to the end of our, of our time. I want to just, uh, somebody said, why are famous actors and singers and not calling people into the streets? Well, that's your job, people. You've got to get out in the streets. You've got to get out in the streets and they'll come, okay? Uh, some of them have done, uh, the athletes in particular have been outstanding in what they've done in the NBA and WNBA and uh, tennis. But, you know, you can't rely on them. You've got to get out there. When they see you out there, they will be there. So, um, you know, I just, I'm going to give you a last word. I do want to say that about uh, Jason was, I said, boy, I'd really, when Trump gave his uh, acceptance speech and all the mythology <laughs> that he put at the end of that speech, the, just the absolute 1950s, but the whole American bullshit uh, 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 origin story, I said, I didn't get to talk to you, but we do on our new uh, episode of Revolution Nothing Less show tomorrow night have a filmmaker who did the movie Sir No Sir has done a sequence where he's had Trump's words up against the reality of the genocide of the native people. Um, this is gonna, it's an incredible eight-minute segment. Um, 
So uh, I do want to encourage people uh, to get out in the square, to go to refusefascism.org, go to Revolution Books, NYC. You can order books online. You can support the bookstore. There's also revolutionbooks.org or .net in, uh, in Berkeley. Uh, support both of those. And uh, go to revcom.us to find out about the movement for natural revolution. But I want to give uh, Jason one, uh, another word, and then we'll, I'll just say goodnight after that. Okay, so uh, I think w democracy, look, democracy is unusual. Democracy is unique. Most countries live under some form of authoritarianism, some kind of banana, in some kind of banana republic dictatorship. Uh, democracy only works if we all are devoted to it. Um, we have differences amongst each other. Some of us are, uh, are religious Christians or religious Muslims or Jews, others. Uh, are secular, human and secular, uh, some are gay, some are straight, uh, we come from different paths, but a democracy is about us all living together and being devoted to that system. I truly believe we face a moment where we are risking this system. I think this isn't going to be good for anyone, even those who think they will gain from it. Um, let's get out there on the streets peacefully, Let's not give any, any uh, photo ops for the opposition uh, for, for, for further uh, recrimination and, and, and crackdowns. Um, let's get people to the polls, uh, get young people to the polls, um, get everyone to the polls. Uh, and let's, uh, let's remember this isn't going to be election day, it's going to be election week or election month. See you on the other end. Okay, I think that's, those are, that's an important message. I want to say to people, you know, uh, when Jason just spoke of all the different kinds of people who need to be involved and the, the differences over how we eventually get to a just world, what better way to begin to have that dialogue and debate than standing together against what would be a great horror? You know, yes. there, I look right, forward I to... Okay, I'm going to end with this. I look forward to you being on this show after Trump is gone and we can have a big argument about revolution or this. But for now, uh, be well and uh, stay safe and uh, keep spreading the word about fascism, Jason. Thank you for doing this program with Revolution Books. Thanks for listening to Inside Without Now. Protests are happening every day demanding Trump Pence out now. As soon as as this episode ends, go to refusefascism.org and find a protest near you. Together, there is a way out of this nightmare, but you have to act. While we must vote in massive numbers, if we rely only on voting or wait to see how the vote turns out, it will be a disaster and the regime will likely stay in power. And it will be exponentially harder to stop them. So join us in the public squares of cities and towns across the country for nonviolent protests that continue day after day, united by the demand Trump pens out now. Be part of growing these protests and not stopping until our demand is won. Inspire others to join you, organize people to mobilize their communities, and keep coming back into the public square in bigger numbers. Just as we saw from the mass protests in June and July, the regime and their base can become overwhelmed by our numbers and determination. Our side 
can seize the initiative and their side can be on the defensive. But even that is not enough. We must keep growing and keep coming back, creating the kind of political crisis caused by millions in the streets refusing to stop until the regime is gone, leading to a situation where democratic politicians and even some other major political forces who have thus far gone along with the Trump-Pence regime come to see that something must be done to stem the tide of the protests and are compelled to meet our demand. It is this basic process that has driven out hated leaders all over the world in the recent past, in Egypt, South Korea, Armenia, Puerto Rico, Lebanon, and can and must be done here. So join us. Go to refusefascism.org and find details on where you need to be for daily protests or to organize your own. Follow at Refuse Fascism on social media and subscribe to this podcast for the latest. Leave a rating or review for this podcast to help us reach more people. And lastly, donate so that more people know about these daily protests demanding Trump heads out now. You can give via Venmo, Refuse-Fascism, Cash App, Refuse-Fascism, or go to RefuseFascism.org and click the donate button. In the name of humanity, we refuse to accept a fascist America. See you in the streets every day this month.